Okay, so we're in Exodus chapter 3, if you've got your Bibles with you. Um, we're reading the whole chapter. Um, it's a good one. Uh, <laughs> they're all good ones, I know. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the desert and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush does not burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses, and Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this Moses hid his face, because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them crying out because of their slave drivers, and I am concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey the home of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites and Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, the name by which I am to be remembered from generation to generation. Go, assemble the elders of Israel and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob appeared to me and said, I have watched over you and have seen what has been done to you in Egypt and I have promised to bring you up out of your misery in Egypt into the land of the Canaanites, Hittites, Amorites, Perizzites, Hivites and Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. The elders of Israel will listen to you. 
Then you and the elders are to go to the king of Egypt and say to him, The Lord, the God of the Hebrews, has met with us. Let us take a three-day journey into the desert to offer sacrifices to the Lord our God. But I know that the king of Egypt will not let you go unless a mighty hand compels him. So I will stretch out my hand and strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. After that, he will let you go. And I will make the Egyptians favorably disposed toward this people, so that when you leave, you will not go empty-handed. Every woman is to ask her neighbor and any woman living in her house for articles of silver and gold and for clothing, which you will put on your sons and daughters. And so you will plunder the Egyptians. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Oh, well, thank you so much to our band. I think in some ways uh, what I want to say to us this morning is just, just as simple as that, what we've just sung, come and behold him, uh, the one and the only, cry out, sing holy, come and worship the holy God, uh, come and worship the holy God. Uh, but now as we, as we say that, uh, there is actually one or two problems with that as we say, come and worship the holy God. One is, uh, as we've already had alluded to this morning, as we will come back to, how do we come and worship the holy God, knowing that he is holy and his glory consumes like fire. How do we come and worship this holy God and uh, not fear for our lives? Uh, but perhaps the other question, I think, yeah, perhaps the other problem with saying this, just uh, to start us off, is as we, uh, as we say, come and worship God, it's all well and good to say that, but how do we know, how do we know actually who God is in the first place? Yeah, because we can be, we could be here singing songs, you know, um, singing great songs, saying we're singing to our God. But how do we actually know uh, that we're not just making up a God that we maybe want to follow, and then perhaps uh, worshiping Him as some sort of wishful thinking, just sort of hoping He's there and singing to something? But actually, uh, could it all just be something we're imagining or making up? Uh, how do we know actually what God is like and who He is? Um, I was writing this sermon this week, and I just kind of sat down to write my sermon, and as I often do. Um, I put some music on, I put some background music on. I had uh, this week I put on Spotify and had it shuffling through a 90s playlist. And I kid you not, just at the very moment I sat down to start writing, um, guess what song starts playing on my Spotify? Uh, here are the lyrics. Uh, what if God was one of us? Just a slob like one of us. Just a stranger on a bus trying to make his way home. Uh, if God had a name, what would it be? And would you call it to his face? Uh, if you were faced with him in all his glory, what would you ask if you had just one question? Uh, what, a, what a great song. I won't, won't go on singing it. But uh, I thought maybe the fact that that song came up just as I was starting to write the sermon perhaps uh, shows that God has a little bit of a sense of humour uh, as he thinks about himself, just a slob like one of us maybe. Uh, but how do we know who God is? How do we know we've got him right? Uh, how, do we, how can we possibly know God's name? Uh, and if we don't know the answer to those questions, how can we confidently come and worship him? And the answer to this actually is the only way we can know who God is, the only way we could possibly know what God is like uh, would be for the true God to reveal himself to us, uh, would be for God to show himself. Anything less than that would just be us speculating, just having a stab in the dark. But what we're going to see today is that reveal himself is exactly what God has done. This is actually one of the big themes of the whole book of Exodus and particularly one of the big themes of the burning bush. This is God showing himself 
God coming and making himself known, even telling us his name. Uh, And he's doing it so that people can come and worship him, so that his people can come and worship him, so that we can come and worship the holy God. And so who does the story of the burning bush show God to be? Uh, What does it show God to be like? I wonder if, as Julie was reading out Exodus 3 for us, I wonder what you thought. What what is it showing us uh, that God is like? What sort of God is it showing? Well, we could pull it apart in different ways, but I've picked out uh, three big things. I think the burning bush is showing us that God is the holy, unchanging, compassionate God. Holy, unchanging, compassionate. I think uh, really the three, the different parts of this story show these three things. I think the burning bush really highlights God's holiness. I think God's name really shows his unchangingness uh, and the reason he's come and his message shows his compassion. So uh, we're just going to try and see these three things in our story this morning. Uh, First, we're going to see how the burning bush shows that our God is a holy God. Uh, Now I'm going to say it straight up that I'm someone who really enjoys fire. Uh, I like fire. It's been nice on a cold morning to be thinking about fire. Uh, I grew up in the Adelaide Hills. We had lots of camping and campfires and bonfires uh, burning off around the property to try and keep things safe. And uh, Simon spoke about uh, bushfires earlier. I, I, I will put it out there and say, I don't know if you know this about one of your pastors, but I did even accidentally start a small bushfire one time, um, a long time ago. So you'll have to come and ask me about that later. It was uh, CFS had to be called and things like that. So um, I, I can't tell you the story now. Sorry, we don't have time. But uh, fire, what I, what I would say about fire as someone who loves fire, uh, two things I would say about fire is that fire is attractive, uh, but fire is dangerous. Fire is attractive uh, but fire is dangerous. Uh, a few weeks ago, we hosted a big party at my parents' place. It was my dad's 60th. Um, we had this big bonfire. That's a picture of it. Uh, and a bit after everyone had arrived, everyone had come to the party. The, the sun was going down. My brother and I got to the main event. We lit the bonfire, uh, got it going. Very exciting. And of course, fires are very attractive, as I've said, although um, actually some of the people at the party didn't necessarily seem to agree with me that fires are that attractive. Lots of people uh, were being a bit boring and having conversation with one another and eating food, and so I had to go and sort of rustle people up a bit and say, come on, the fire's starting, let's go look at the fire, fire's awesome, come and check it out. Uh, And they did, and they did, they came and looked at the fire, that was good. The only problem was that then everyone came down and, and started to check out the fire, and actually the only problem was they actually then started standing way too close, like only a metre away. Like, this is a big fire, guys. Let's, let's step back a little bit. This is actually going to go up pretty big. This is not especially safe. Uh, probably on reflection, I've just got really strong feelings about fire and maybe it comes from that childhood bushfire or something. But um, I stand by it. Fire is attractive, but it's dangerous. Attractive, but dangerous. And we see this actually in the story of the burning bush. Uh, Moses sees the bush burning, and he's attracted to it. He comes straight over. He wants to check it out, um, especially because it seems to be burning, but not burning up. So it's a bit strange. Uh, but then as Moses comes over to the fire, it's, it's dangerous. So verse 5, God calls out from the fire, don't come any closer. This is, this is not safe. And, and Moses has to take off his shoes. And verse 6, he's afraid. He has to hide his face. Um, in other places, say back in Genesis, when God appears to other people like Abraham or Isaac or Jacob, Um, Almost always those encounters start with God saying, do not be afraid, do not be afraid. You remember some of those those encounters when God appears to people and says, do not be afraid, of course, um, even in the Christmas story and other parts of the Bible. But here there's none of that. God actually comes to Moses and says, you should be afraid, don't come any closer. Get those shoes off, this this isn't safe. And I think maybe partly there, there is a bit of something going on here. The theme of Exodus is, uh, one, of, one of the big themes of Exodus, Exodus is the fear of God 
Uh, and Moses doesn't seem to be a person who's really ever shown any fear of God yet. Um, and he probably needs to start fearing God. So um, probably there's a bit of a point there that he actually needs to be a bit afraid. Um, but uh, the, the point, that, that, that's the point, isn't it? He should be afraid. He should be a little bit fearful of what's going on. And specifically, what is it that should make Moses afraid in this story? Well, it's not really strictly the fire. You know, God doesn't say take, take your shoes off because otherwise you might get burned by the fire. Of course, if you know, there's embers on the ground and things, you should keep your shoes on. But uh, God says, Moses, take off your sandals because the place where you're standing is holy ground. Now, why would God's holiness be dangerous? Holy is one of those words that the Bible, uh, in the Bible that comes up a lot. Uh, we, of course, have lots of songs that we sing here on Sundays. We've sung a couple of great ones today that talk about God being holy. And we sometimes think of God being holy as God is perfect, like he's holy, he's perfect. And, uh, but actually, really, it's a little bit more than that. Really, God's holiness is his absolute dedication and perfect commitment to his own character and purposes. Let me say that again. His absolute dedication and perfect commitment to his own character and purposes, which means that God is never a God that says, oh, that's close enough. Uh, God is never, never a God who would get 90% on an exam. God is not a God who would ever say, I've fulfilled some of my promises, but maybe I'll just leave it there. I won't worry about those other ones. Um, God is a God who's perfectly committed to his purposes. And importantly, God is therefore not a God who could ever tolerate evil or wrongdoing. We're going to come to this later in Exodus. Not that we'll get there um, probably till next year. I think we're going to come back and try and finish off the book of Exodus. But we're going to come in Exodus 34 to this famous verse, Exodus 34, 7. Uh, it says, The Lord, the Lord, the compassionate and gracious God, slow to anger, abounding in love and faithfulness, maintaining love to thousands and forgiving wickedness, rebellion and sin, yet he does not leave the guilty unpunished. God doesn't just let evil go. Uh, he's perfectly just and committed to justice, which is a good thing. It's what you want from God. But also, at the same time, we can start to see why God's holiness is dangerous. Attractive, but dangerous. Because we are not perfect beings. And so to come close to the holy God in his perfect justice, knowing that we deserve his wrath, well, to come close to the holy God is something we do at our peril. I, uh, I started a few weeks ago. I've been looking forward to this ever since. Um, found out my wife Annika was pregnant a few years ago. I uh, started a few weeks ago reading Narnia to my kids uh, as they fall asleep at night. And uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, I got to my very favourite part of The Light and the Witch in the Wardrobe, my very favourite little quotes. Um, and if you know Narnia, uh, the Jesus character in Narnia is this lion, Aslan. And uh, this is my favourite bit. The, the kids who are the main characters are just finding out for the first time that Aslan... Uh, this, this person they're going to go and meet is actually a lion. Uh, and so it says this, um, uh, Lucy, who's one of the girls, uh, of, of my daughter Lucy was very excited about that, uh, it says, uh, Lucy says, is, is he a man? And uh, Mr. Beaver, who she's talking to, Mr. Beaver says, Aslan a man? Certainly not. I tell you, he is king of the wood and the son of the great emperor beyond the sea. Don't you know who is king of beasts? Aslan is a lion, the lion, the great lion. And then, then isn't he safe, says Lucy. Safe, said Mr. Beaver. Don't you hear what Mrs. Beaver tells you? Who said anything about safe? Of course he isn't safe, but he's good. He's the king, I tell you. I, uh, 
I was very excited when I got to this part of the book and reading it out and then I um, looked over at Lucy to see what she thought of the big reveal that Aslan was a lion and um, snores from her bed, unfortunately. So it was a bit of an anticlimax. Um, <laughs> although Eleanor did start roaring like a lion in her cot, so um, I, I had that, so that was good. But um, It's a great quote, isn't it? We mustn't think of God as safe or warm and cuddly. The picture of God as fire, the danger that comes with his holiness is a very real thing. Uh, and it's worth us being aware of this. You know, we here at Trinity Church Brighton are a relatively relaxed kind of church. We're a casual kind of church. And we like that, you know, we like to have a coffee and a low-key morning together. And, you know, because I'm one of the pastors, I put on a shirt with a collar and try and get some clean jeans. I don't think they're too bad today. Uh, but there's not a whole lot of formality or pomp and ceremony uh, on Sundays. And we do that deliberately. We, we want people to be able to come to church and come as they are. And we want to show people that God is a God of grace and that, you know, Jesus, Jesus was a normal sort of blue-collar type of guy. And I'm not suggesting... We should lose any of that or be less casual, but we must be careful not to think of God as a casual God. As if we could walk up to the burning bush and make a few jokes and give it a high five. You don't play with fire. God is not a God to be played with. Uh, We don't have to take ourselves seriously, and I think that's a good part of the reason why we don't have to have too much formality here at church, but we do need to take Him seriously. And coming to worship here on a Sunday is a big deal. Uh, of course, we all go on holidays, you know, we all have things on sometimes, we all get sick, there's times we can't come to church. Uh, we all sometimes have hectic mornings or lose track of time or the kids are making things hard or we end up getting, getting here late and we're not really in the right headspace. And, and that's all fine, you know, these things happen. God is a God of grace and he understands, but we should sometimes just pause and ask ourselves, are we in danger of being too casual with God? Now, I don't think it's probably quite right to treat coming here on a Sunday to worship the Holy God uh, just like you're going to a footy game or a social club or something like that and sort of roll out of bed as if you can only be half bothered. Uh, coming to worship the holy God is a serious thing. And maybe, maybe this is a question um, for you to reflect on during the week. Do I take God seriously? Uh, and if you decide maybe that you don't actually think you do, well, maybe imagine, okay, well, what would it, like if I, what would it look like if I, if I was to start taking God seriously? What would that look like um, in your life? Now, the second thing I think today's story shows us about, uh, about God and the burning bush is uh, that it shows God to be holy, it shows God to be unchanging. God is unchanging. Uh, we see this as God tells Moses his name. Uh, verse 13, Moses says, uh, suppose I go back to the Israelites and they ask, what is, what is your name? What shall I tell them? And verse 14, God, God reveals his name. He says, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites, I am has sent me to you. The name highlights that God is an unchangeable God. Makes me think of that great line in that other song, Before the Throne, the great unchangeable I am, the King of glory and of grace. But now this is actually is a strange couple of verses, isn't it? And we might wonder what really is going on here. Is God actually saying his name or is he sort of ignoring the question and telling Moses to pipe down at it's a bit weird, isn't it? And I, I think God's reply to Moses actually seems to do a number of things. Um, it does. It does seem to be an introduction of a sort of name for God. Um, you might know this, but in your Bibles where you see written the Lord in capital letters, uh, that's the English translator's way of showing us that in the original Hebrew, that is, that is God's name, that is Yahweh. Um, and Yahweh sounds just like I am. So it kind of does introduce this name for God. Um, but also... What God says here, it does seem to have other meaning too. Like one thing, it's, it's showing us that God is not like us. We, we are so unlike God. I cannot say I am who I am because I, unlike God, are changeable. I, I today am a different sort of person 
as I was 10 years ago and, and 40 years ago, of course I couldn't say I am who I am because I, I didn't exist yet. Uh, and other people, influence, uh, other people influence me and I'm changed by things. I, I, I'm different when I go through different things. Um, but God is eternal. He doesn't change. He has no beginning, no end. He just is. He is who he is, whereas we are changeable. He is eternally consistent. But also, I do also think that God's reply here to Moses does kind of seem to be a little bit of a way of God putting Moses in his place, kind of shutting Moses down a little bit. And, and some commentators will say that uh, perhaps Moses wants to hear God's name here because Moses wants to be able to control God. Mo- Moses wants to, um, almost as Andrew said before, sort of put God in a box. Uh, perhaps, perhaps Moses maybe even thinks there are lots of gods and he wants to sort of work out, well, which God is this who's going to show up and help me? Um, and the reply, I am who I am, kind of shuts that all down, doesn't it? God is who he is. Don't question him. Don't try and put him in a box. Don't try and control him. It's that other famous Narnia quote. He's not a tame lion. He is who he is. And this is quite different, actually, to what lots of other religions tend to say. You know, we want a God for this, you know. So let's say there is one. Let's have a God for the weather and let's have a God for the ocean. And often you might have lots of gods and often the gods are temperamental and changing and you never know kind of what you're going to get. Um, but this also stands in contrast to what lots of modern Western Australians think today. Lots of people in Australia, as we know, identify themselves as spiritual but not religious. And a lot of the time, what that actually means is people think, well, I'm happy to believe in a higher power, but I'd like to think they're like this. Or I'd want to believe in a God that would be like this or do this. Or I want to believe in a God who would be okay with what I'm doing here or there um, or acting a certain way. But the problem with all of that is that you can't just believe what you want about someone and say that it's true, can you? I mean, if I look at Dave, who's over on the sound today, if I told you that, you know, here's my friend Dave and he's a big Port fan and he's terrible in the guitar and he's 85 years old, you, you would rightly say to me, well, I don't think you know the first thing about Dave. I don't think you know Dave at all. I, I, perhaps, perhaps you've never even met Dave. Maybe it sounds like you've actually just made up a new imaginary version of Dave who's not real. Well, the only way we can know God is because he's revealed himself to us and he is who he is. He's not someone else. We don't get to decide what he's like. We can't make up a God to suit our own beliefs because the God we make up is not a real God. And only the true God, the real God, the God who's revealed to us in Scripture, is the real God who can actually help us. And that brings us to our third point. God is holy, unchanging, and he's compassionate because God does reveal himself to be a God who wants to help us. The true God does care about us. He's a rescuing God. As we sang in the kids' song, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed. He loves us. He cares about us. He does want to help. And God shows this in in the passage with the message that he brings. Verse 7, The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I've heard them crying out because of their slave drivers. And I'm concerned about their suffering. He cares. And so I've come down to rescue them from the hands of the Egyptians. God has come down out of the heavens because he cares about his people. And he's come to help his people to rescue them. Now, this might actually raise for us a fairly big question, and it's a question that I've sort of been working out where to address uh, over the last few weeks, and I think now's the time to do it. Um, the, the question is this, why, why now? Why now? Why come and rescue the Israelites now? Um, and why, why now? Why not decades ago? Because the Israelites have been struggling for years and years and years. They've been in slavery, and it's just been getting worse and worse and worse. 
You know, if God is really holy and if he's really committed to justice, if he's really unchanging, well then why hasn't he already done something about this? Uh, And for that matter, why doesn't he act to stop evil in all sorts of situations even today? And now the answer to that question is not simple. Uh, the answer to that question is not much, so much even a, even a direct answer, but to look at what this passage has shown us. It has revealed God to be holy. It has revealed God to be unchanging and eternal. And so the answer to that question then is to step back with a little bit of humility and trust that God is who he reveals himself to be. Because here's the thing, if he is eternal and unchanging, and if he is holy, then he's totally unlike us. And his perspective is nothing like ours, and his ways are nothing like our ways. And so for us to say, well, God, you should have acted sooner, or you should have done more, or I wish you would do this or that, well, this is making that mistake that some of the people thought that maybe Moses was making, trying to put God in a box, trying to think that we know better than him, trying to think that we should control him. And so the answer to this question is to step back and with humble faith, trust that God actually knows better than we do, that the holy, unchanging, compassionate God is working things out according to his good purposes. We may well wish that God would do something different sometimes. Uh, We may well wish that he would act differently in our life or act sooner, perhaps. Um, Remember the Israelites, they were in Egypt for 400 years and multiple generations of things getting worse and worse and worse. People live their whole lives wanting God to show up and act. They've been waiting for God to act for a long time and we might know that feeling. Uh, But the answer is, we just don't see things from God's perspective. We just don't know why he does things the way that he does. But we trust that he's the holy, unchanging, compassionate God whose ways are not our ways, and we trust that he's acting according to his good purposes as he says that he does. We have faith. This, This is what faith is, to trust that God knows better than us and that God knows what he's doing. And actually, in the case of the Israelites, we maybe can actually just speculate and have a little bit of a guess about why God perhaps has waited this long. There are clues as well in the Scriptures. One one clue is that although uh, things haven't been great for the Israelites for a really long time, God has been growing them. Like, He has been doing things among them. He has been turning them into a nation. Um, So you can say, okay, well, I can see how God has been fulfilling His good purposes here, even though it's been hard. There's another clue that comes all the way back in Genesis 15. Um, you, you may remember this. It's, it's just sort of a little bit of a random um, interaction between God and Abraham. But back in Genesis 15, God revealed to Abraham. He, he told him actually all the way back then that his people were going to be in Egypt for 400 years. And he said all the way back then that part of the reason for that is because he wants to bring them to the promised land. But at that time, uh, the level of sin in the promised land hadn't increased to the point that God was ready to kick those people out. So they needed to wait until it was the right time. And we also know that God wants to bless Israel with riches and possessions and that they're going to plunder the Egyptians. And, and the way that the Egyptians are treating Israel is going to be what ends up making this possible. And so you can already sort of see, okay, when I think about it, there is a lot more going on here. And this is about hundreds of years. This is about building a nation. It's, it's not just about justice for Israel, but it's also about justice for other people as well. And it's also about the Egyptians. And it's also about those people that we don't really know anything about who are living back in Canaan. Um, it's also about God's plans for the whole history of the world. And as we start to think this, and perhaps our mind starts to boggle a little bit, which is what it should do, um, we start to glimpse a little bit of what it means when uh, we say God's ways are not our ways. We could never make plans with that sort of scale or complexity. I think parenting maybe sometimes gives us a little window into what this is like. Um, I was driving with Eleanor, two years old, um, during this week, and we were driving on uh, King William Road, and I turned left onto King William Road. 
and Eleanor's just started to get interested in what way we're going home. And for some reason, Eleanor got into her head that I should have turned right, not left. Um, and so she said to me, wrong way, Daddy, wrong way, wrong way, and started crying. Okay, for, for, for starters, you're two. Don't tell me which way to drive. You don't even know where we are. <laughs> but actually, what I said to Eleanor was, Eleanor, you need to trust Daddy. Daddy knows the way home. And you need to trust that Daddy's going to take you there. Well, we, we need to trust God. Uh, we need to trust the compassionate, rescuing God. Trust that he knows so much more than we do and that his purposes are playing out. He knows the way home. Uh, we oftentimes will maybe wish God could act sooner or wish he would act differently. And sometimes when he doesn't do what we wish he would do, sometimes he might feel distant or might feel like he doesn't care. But it's not true. It's not true that he doesn't care. This passage has shown us that he cares even when he might feel like he's not there. He's a God who's full of compassion and he's working out his purposes in the world and in our lives. It can be hard to trust that God knows what he's doing sometimes. I think that's certainly true. Um, You might have noticed in the reading, Moses is quite unsure, quite worried about trusting God. I'm quite worried about what God has asked him. And so God actually says that he's going to give Moses a sign to help him. Have you ever asked God for a sign? Um, Well, Moses, I don't know what sign Moses was hoping for, maybe fireworks in the sky or something to really prove that God's going to come through with what he's going to come through with. But um, actually the sign God gives is, well, it's in verse 12. This will be the sign to you uh, that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, well, then you will come back to this very mountain and worship me here kind of an odd sign isn't it the sign is just wait and you'll see when you get back you'll see uh, that I was in control of all of this not actually much of a sign is it and I'm not sure how reassuring Moses would have found it but I bet when Moses eventually did come back to the mountain years and years later well I bet when he finally did come back he did say then well now I know God was right you know he did do it I know that know now that he was always on my side and doing this for a reason Perhaps we could say the sign that God has given to us is that he's promised that Jesus will one day return and that we'll worship God on another mountain, Mount Zion, and the new heavens and the new earth. And well, we might not feel that that's the reassurance we need right now. Uh, when, when we get there, we'll know, won't we? You know, he was always on my side. He knew what he was doing all along. God is the unchanging, holy, compassionate God. And so will we come to worship him? Will we trust that his ways are the best ways. Will we trust in his compassion? It must have been incredible to have been in Moses' shoes. Uh, Just imagine that, walking in the desert, uh, in the Middle East, coming to that burning bush, hearing God speak, uh, being shown who God really is. And we might, as we've looked at this story today, we might be thinking, I wish, I just wish God would reveal himself to me in that way. I just wish I could have seen the burning bush and taken off my sandals and worshipped this holy God. But before we finish today, um, I just want to talk for a few more minutes about one last thing, and that's uh, because before we get jealous of the experience that Moses got to have, we should remember that we actually have something that's way better than what Moses had. We can come and worship all the more because we get to see so much more of God and his purposes and his plans and of who he is because we live in a time where we have been shown who God is through Jesus. And we've heard today that God is holy, unchanging, compassionate, a rescuing God. And we see, we see these three things in the person of Jesus as well. Now we've heard today that God is a compassionate God. He came down to the burning bush because he wanted to rescue his people. Well, in the person of Jesus, God once again comes down, doesn't he? 
Jesus is God, come down to help his people. Jesus is like a living, walking, talking, burning bush. This is the fullness of God in a person, come to rescue his people. And once again, he comes out of compassion and to rescue. The very name Jesus means God saves. Jesus is our rescuer. This time God came to rescue us, not from physical slavery, but from slavery to sin. And he came to save us, not from the hands of the Egyptians, but he came to save us from death itself and to bring us to eternal life, to life in our promised land, uh, that new heavens and the new earth. Now, second, we also heard that God was an unchanging God. Well, the book of Hebrews reminds us that Jesus, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today and forever. Like God is eternal, Jesus is also eternal. Uh, You might remember in John 8, uh, the Jews tell Jesus that he couldn't possibly know anything about Abraham because he's only young. And do you remember Jesus' reply? Before Abraham was, I am. Before Abraham was, I am. And it's not bad grammar. The Jews knew exactly who Jesus was claiming to be, hence why they uh, picked up stones and started trying to stone him. Uh, Jesus is God. He is the great unchangeable I am. And like God the Father, he is eternal and unchanging. And so like we can bank on God's promises, we can bank on Jesus and we can bank on Jesus' teaching. We can trust Jesus' promises and what he teaches us about life in God's kingdom and eternal life. And third and finally, like God is a holy God, well, Jesus is also holy. Jesus was also completely committed and dedicated to the purposes of God. Um, And with God, we talked about the fire, about how God's holiness is attractive but dangerous. You know, the difference with Jesus is that Jesus was not dangerous to touch. In fact, how many stories are there of people touching Jesus and finding healing and life and restoration? Why is this? You know, has God suddenly become the God who is happy to now let evil go and just let evil go unpunished? No, the difference with Jesus is that in Jesus, God is punishing evil by taking it onto himself at the cross. And so when we bring our sins to Jesus, we're not judged and consumed by fire. When we bring our sins to Jesus, they're put onto him and taken away. One of the things about the fire, which was the presence of the Holy God with the Israelites through the Old Testament, is it was always a hazard. The Israelites always struggled to live with the Holy God because of his holiness. So when they came back to the mountain of God, um, they couldn't actually go up the mountain because it was covered in fire, because it was dangerous, because of his holiness. And when God came down at the end of the book in the tabernacle, they couldn't enter because of God's holiness, because it was too dangerous. And through the centuries, as God lived in the Holy of Holies in the middle of their temple, only once a year could a priest who had performed all the proper rituals go in because it was so hazardous, it was so dangerous. And yes, they understood that because of the Lord's great love, they were not consumed and that he could live with them. But God's holiness was always hazardous. But all that changed with the person of Jesus. His death ripped that temple curtain in two. If we are in Jesus, we don't need to fear the fire of God's holy presence. If we're in Jesus, our sins are paid for, and so we can approach this holy God like never before. Moses was right to be afraid of the burning bush, uh, but because of what Jesus has done, we can stand boldly before this holy God. And even more than that, though, through Jesus, we too have been given access into the presence of God. Not just that God comes and lives with us in a temple that we could maybe go and visit that's hard to get into, uh, but we have been given God's presence to live with us, the fire of the Holy Spirit. Uh, living in us, but not consuming us. Uh, we said Jesus is a bit like a burning bush. I actually don't think it's too much of a stretch to say we are a little bit like the burning bush as well. Uh, we have God's spirit burning like fire within us, and yet, uh, just like the bush wasn't consumed, wasn't burnt up, we can live 
with God's Spirit in our hearts and yet not be destroyed, not be burnt up. And so like God spoke from the burning bush, he can now speak through you and I. Through his Holy Spirit burning within us, we can speak God's words to others. We can speak God's words of comfort, his promises. We can speak his words of rescue to one another and to others, uh, which is exactly what we're going to focus on next week as we think along with Moses about what it means to speak God's words. Uh, For now, though, we've seen that God is the holy, unchanging, compassionate God. We have seen he is the God who makes himself known. And most ultimately, we've seen that we can know the holy God as we see him revealed in the Son of Jesus, in his Son, Jesus. So the message of Exodus 3, will we come and behold him? Will we come and worship the holy God? Will we come and worship Jesus, the one who reveals the holy God to us? Let me pray. Holy, unchanging God of compassion, today we come to you, we worship you, and we thank you that you are a God who makes yourself known to us. Help us to give you the honour you are due. Help us to treat you as we should. Help us not to put our own version of you up in worship instead of the real you. And God, show us who you, you truly are. Thank you for Jesus who did most fully reveal who you are to us. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.